You're now listening to a brand new episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Look what you done started. Talk to him. Attorney, high-performance coach, and speaker Cherie Prince asks hard questions to really get to the bottom of what makes entrepreneurs tick. From starting a business, marketing, strategies, and the ins and outs of their industries. We talk everything from book recommendations, lifestyle hacks, and everything possible to get you inspired and motivated to build your own business. The Play Big Faster podcast starts now. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. We are joined today by author and attorney Amanda Green Alexander. Hi, Amanda. Hi, hello. Listen, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to hear about what you do and about your journey to becoming a defense attorney. Um, But let's start with one thing first. You were from, and help me with the pronunciation, Kokomo, Mississippi, correct? That is correct. Kokomo, Mississippi. Okay, now tell us where that is, population. Just let us know what's going on with Kokomo. So Kokomo is South Mississippi. It's on between Hattiesburg and Macomb is the best way, right on on, on Highway 49. It's 45 minutes from Hattiesburg, uh, west of Hattiesburg, and 45 minutes east of Macomb. Uh, population is about 2,000, if you count a few cats and dogs in that number. Um, but generally speaking, a very small. We have a stop sign and a post office, and that lets you know that's how we become a city, the post okay. office. Okay, watch out now. So <laughs> <laughs> tell us, how did a little girl from Kokomo, Mississippi, um, come to own and operate a civil defense firm the size of yours um, in, in the capital city of Jackson, Mississippi? So I'll tell you, I always have to say I'm from Kokomo because there's Columbia, which is the county seat. But Kokomo is important because we often forget about the folks who um, come from small towns. And so um, otherwise, how would you be able to say I know somebody from Kokomo if I never tell you? Um, So I grew up in Kokomo all my life on Kokomo Road. Uh, My parents um, were pretty active in the community. My dad uh, was a Baptist minister. And my mom was, um, you know, started off as a school teacher and ended up being Head Start administrator. Um, and so their level of involvement in the community sort of like sort of plummeted my desire to sort of be everywhere, talk all the time, because they were certainly always active and doing things in the community. So I'll tell you, I just wanted to be a lawyer. And the reason why I wanted to be a lawyer is because my very first encounter uh, was really about, I guess, when I first discovered that I wanted to be a lawyer, when I was eight years old. Um, it was a result of my having been on a school bus. Um, and at the time I live in the county, went to a county school, public school and the bus would come and, um, and I would ride, um, on the bus as a third grader with my brother who, uh, was an eighth grader. And there were a number of kids on the bus because of course, you know, you are in a rural area. And so because of that, there are, everybody rides the bus together rather than there being, you know, multiple buses coming for different grade levels. And so in that experience, um, there was a student who was on the bus who had special needs. And so one of the things that would happen, he would come on the bus and there were kids on the bus who would uh, bully him and they would pick on him and make fun of him. And I was in the third grade, eight years old, but I did not want you picking on him. And so I would stand up for him and, you know, threaten to fight and fuss and everything else. And of course, my brother, who is the, 
you know, uh, eighth graders having to deal with, you know, defending his sister because I only have one brother and my dad says his birth, you will take care of your sister till your death. And so uh, that included uh, taking care of her while she was trying to take care of someone else. Um, the student was a much, oh, you know, he was about 15, 14 or 15 years old. He was older than me. He was bigger than me. Um, but I still knew that he was unable to defend himself in the same way that I would otherwise be, or even my brother would at that time. And so I came home. I was very upset about the fact that he was being bullied. And my mom, of course, said, you know, well, you know, it's an unfortunate thing. You know, we can reach out to the school, let the bus driver know what's happening. But, you know, we felt like we could probably do something about it. And so I said, I want to do something about it. I want to, I want to, to move forward and trying to do something. So what could I do? You know, what, what could I grow up to be? And so this doesn't happen to anyone else. And so my mom said, well, you know, there's a judge that makes decisions about things when people get in trouble. I said, I want to get them in trouble. And I want the judge to get to, to do something to them for being mean. And so my mom said, well, you know, their lawyer, he'll have a chance. They'll have a chance to have a lawyer. You'll have a chance to have a lawyer. And so I said, well, I want to be a lawyer. And so she said, I said, I really want to be a judge. She said, well, you got to be a lawyer first. And so um, that sort of began the uh, the effort of me, sort of, you know, my path to becoming a lawyer. And so from the third grade all the way until now, um, I wanted to be a lawyer. My mom and dad um, would remind me of those um, promises that I made to myself. This is what you wanted to do. This is what you wanted to be. And so even in the process of saying something like, I'd like to open a defense worm, um, you know, um, in a way that, you know, there are not many people who own defense um, firms that look like me. And so, um, in fact, we're the only one in the state of Mississippi that's owned by me. And so, um, immediately, um, when those times and weirdness becomes, you know, sort of transparent of, you're not going to get this opportunity, my, my mom reminded me, this is your calling, this is what God um, laid upon your heart to do, and so this is what you'll do. And so, from my early days at Tougaloo College, you know, because I went to the school where they make lawyers. And so they make lawyers at Tougaloo. You know, nearly 45% of the lawyers in the state of Mississippi were uh, from Tougaloo. And so I went to Tougaloo, you know, African-Americans, 45%. I'm, I'm there. And so um, I didn't grow up around lawyers. I didn't know any lawyers in my family, but I knew that exposure would allow me an opportunity. So I got to Tougaloo and they just surrounded me with tons of lawyers and opportunities. And then I left there and I had on my map, on my wall, this is the path. This is what you must do. You got to go to finish undergraduate school. You got to, you know, go to law school and then you can own your own firm. And so I charted the path um, in 94 uh, when I entered the gates of Tougaloo and for the most part, pretty probably finished a little ahead of schedule by owning my own firm. Well, I think you left something out um, because while you were at Tougaloo, <laughs> you didn't just, you know, meet other attorneys. I believe you were Mrs. Tougaloo during that time. Is that correct? I, I was. I did. I, I was very involved in Student Government Association. And so one of the roles, of course, was Miss Tougaloo College. And so I ran for Miss Tougaloo. It was Miss Tougaloo and a proud Tougalooan. <laughs> right. So you got, a, you got a degree and a crown. I did. I got a degree and a crown, a wonderful crown. I still have it, in fact. <laughs> yes. And 
there's just so much. And I mean, we're going to cover as much as we can, but I believe you were also just recognized by Tougaloo as well recently. Is that correct? I would, I would say one of the honors of my life. I uh, was inducted into the Tougaloo Hall of Fame for the 2021 um, class. And so um, very excited in the area of government and law. And um, like I said, one of the greatest honors. I, I think I was probably more excited about that. I put, probably put that on par with birth. I mean, the birth of my child. So I, I'm pretty excited about having that opportunity um, because just because of the, the fact that you attend a college who, you know, sort of pours so much into you and then you are able to give back and then to be recognized for that is indeed a great honor. Now, it's amazing just in the midst of your educational pursuits, your, you know, community involvement, you have found the time to co-author a book. Tell us a little bit about that book. So um, I work with, um, so I, I, I was serving um, as a president of the Mississippi Women Lawyers Association, um, the, state, the State Women Lawyers Association, and I became active after I wrapped up my presidency in the national um, Women's Bar Association. And so the National um, Conference of, of Women's Bar, um, uh, National Conference of Women's Bar Association. And so I was a president and served as the president of that organization on a national level. But um, the opportunity was presented to me as I was working um, on committees and with the board with through the ABA. So the ABA had not had a commission, the Commission on Women and the Profession wanted to reach out um, to lawyers across the country who own their own firm um, to give some tips and information about, you know, how how they established what was the road to independence um, as far as owning your own firm. And so I do have a chapter in the book. Um, and so you can obtain that, that information off the American Bar Association website. But it is. It's called The Road to Independence 101 Women's Journey. And so um, I'm one of the 101 women's journeys and, and I journey to to sort of uh, becoming a um, to become independent and to own your own law firm. So it's some really good information in there. It's probably a little dated because I make reference to you know things that you can easily access now on the internet. But there's information I think there that are very valuable uh, when you're starting your firm or any business. And I think that was one of the key takeaways is that um, from that article and from other articles is that it's important to decide if you're going to pursue a profession and if you're going to treat it like a business, because in fact, that's what it would be. Well, let's unpack that a little bit because there are young girls just everywhere who are wondering, how can I have my own law firm or where do I start? So what would you tell the 21 year old Amanda, who's, you know, leaving undergraduate school and pursuing a law degree in terms of helping her to get to where you are today? So I would say, get your support system. Um, your support system doesn't have to be just your family. I was grateful to um, have had the benefit of both of my parents being a support to me. Um, and, and my brother, my big brother, who um, also was the owner of an organization, um, he's an insurance agent and um, owned his own insurance company for a number of years and considers, continues to do so um, nearly 30 years. And so um, I think that um, having a support system with family, but then also having a support system with friends. Um, it's important to surround yourself with individuals who are going to uplift you um, and encourage you along the way. I think it's also super vital and important for you to have some organization skills. Uh, you've got to be able to make things happen. In order to make things happen, you need a pretty good list 
of how to do that. Um, the other thing, um, and I talk about this a little bit in my book, is reach out to three people that you think are going to be impactful in your path. And so uh, for me, when I decided that I wanted to open my law firm, I reached out to someone who had been out for a number of years. Um, I looked at someone who had been practicing for about 14 or 15 years who had their firm, their firm. I looked at someone who had been out for five years who had their firm. And then I looked at a business person. And so I reached out to all of them to say, tell me what you, tell me, give me some tips. Give me the information. Tell me how you started. And I remember when I was talking to my friend who at the time had been practicing maybe I think about seven years. He said, um, we made a move too soon. We left. I closed down the practice and I went into um, a bigger firm scenario and I began working for them, but I had no ownership interest. He said, and I was just at the cusp of making some real money and opportunities and helping people. And so I, I moved into another area. So I got a chance to hear his, his um, scenario. I also talked to one of my other friends who had been practicing for a number of years. He had a, a firm with, with three other lawyers. And he was a great success and inspiration to me. He continues to be that. He's now serving on the federal bench. Um, and so I do have the benefit of still communicating and sharing with him. But reaching out to people who really are impactful, who are mentors, I think, you know, shadowing someone and getting an opportunity, people love for you, love to talk about themselves. And so uh, reach out to someone um, that you may admire and say, hey, I'm interested in sort of seeing what you do. Um, and talking a little bit. So you can grab a 30 minute, you know, buy them lunch uh, or at least share lunch. If you're a college student, you probably don't have much money, but so tell them you, you'll be interested in getting, uh, setting up a time and we can go to lunch or your dad, but we can go or we can um, possibly meet in your office. And so being able to just sort of have that outreach with Zoom being so prevalent now, you can easily schedule some time um, and, and individuals will be able to sort of share similar to what we're doing right now, so just being able to reach out and have a conversation, and it appears to be face-to-face, -face. and people will pour into you. I found that people have a very giving and um, loving spirit when it comes to encouraging those who are interested in pursuing things similar to their career. Well, I know that even though you're a you are busy, busy, busy. Um, you you have to take time to kind of be balanced and wind down. So what are some of the things that you do to have a balanced work life, you know, just have a work life balance? So I, I don't I don't ever think that it's a perfect balance, but I do think that there are things that I enjoy um, um, a lot. I enjoy spending time with family and friends. Um, I enjoy being connected with family and friends. So I have lots of um, gatherings and opportunities to connect with friends and family. I also travel. I like to spend time, um, you know, visiting just little different places. Most of those places are, you know, sometimes I go and I want to hike and go everywhere. And I don't mean hike because I'm not really that avid of a hiker. But I mean, I want to be able to go in different places. And sometimes I just want to go and relax. And I just simply want to take it all in, spend time again with family and friends. And then I also spend time by myself. Um, at one point, I was probably regularly taking a once a quarter trip um, where I would get away just simply to regroup and revisit and spend some time with God and talk a little bit about what's happening with the firm, reestablishing um, the vision for the firm, not just talking to God, but him talking to me and me listening. And so 
Um, those have been some great opportunities for me, not just to be surrounded by friends and family, but also um, spending some alone time that I think is, is sometimes we forget that part. Um, I love a great spa. And so uh, most of those alone times are probably spent with just sort of doing that and dozing off a little bit more often. Um, and so picking back up, you know, reminding God, now tell me where we were like when we were talking, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> Now, there is a motto that your firm has, um, and it kind of, I believe, comes from, you know, your spiritual connection. Tell us about how you came up with that and what that motto is. So I was um, actually attending the investiture ceremony of, um, of, a, of a magistrate judge who's a real good friend of mine. And I, re- I sort of had developed this great relationship with her um, when she was serving as um, um, as a as a assistant um, U.S. attorney. and so. Um, during the service, I pastor, um, who at the time was not, um, you know, I was not very close to him as I am now, but I remember several years ago, um, he said, when he gave the prayer, he said, you know, you know, we're, we're to remember to always, um, do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And I thought, that's exactly what we need to do. Uh, we often, you know, and that comes from the book of Micah. Um, and I, I think that the the big takeaway for me is that we often, you know, there was some concern when we first put it on the letterhead was, now how are people going to feel about this? This is sort of a biblical scripture. And what are some thoughts about this? And what if we have this? And I said, this is who I am. This is, this is who I am. And this is who I believe we should be. I think that we should be in a space where we are often, doing justly, that we, our efforts are to sort of do the right thing by people, but to also uh, walk humbly. My dad would often say, you know, that we don't always have to be in the front. We don't always have to lead in from the front. Sometimes we can lead from behind. And so the, the ability to be able to walk humbly and to really temper our thoughts and steps are important. And then finally, to love mercy. I think, you know, one of the things, being able to do all of those things, um, and, you know, I walk in humbly with God is it, certainly there, but being able to, you know, have those different attributes. And I put them all into our, you know, our, our, our website. When you go to our website, we talk about how we do those things, even in the representation of our clients. And I just think that is so important. I mean, to be who you are and live out loud, even through the work that you do for people. And now the one thing about defense attorneys, sometimes you guys get a bad rep. You get a bad rep. You get a bad rep sometimes. What is one of the myths about defense attorneys that if you could personally debunk that myth, what would that be? So I do civil defense, um, which means I represent um, companies, businesses, insurance companies. Um, And so oftentimes we're the people, you know, I represent the people you sue. You know, if you have a car accident, I'm probably representing the insurance company for the person that you sued. And so um, in most instances, I think that people assume that we're the big bad, you know, monster who's trying to keep us from getting paid on this lawsuit. Um, I think that it's important to have good people on both sides of the table. I think it's important to be able to share with our clients that, you know, this is a legitimate injury. This happened. This person is going to be impacted for the rest of their life because of this. And oftentimes, you know, you may encounter, you know, clients who will say, I think that we do need to pay. Let's talk about how much we think that looks like. And I think that the conversations and discussions may very well be, 
you know, I think that this is a good opportunity for us. The other part is being able to say, you know, we don't think that's a legitimate injury. You know, you can't say that you have a workers' comp claim and you can't go to work because of this back injury, but we saw you skiing, you know, at, in the Cancun with your family. So, you know, <laughs> that's problematic <laughs> um, in the greater scheme of things. And so I think that being able to say authentically that this is the issue. So we get the bad rep. We get the bad rep of, of not necessarily being as sensitive as we need to be. And I think it's important to have diverse people on both sides. I mean, you know, there may be a discussion that says, like, how do we value um, things that happen to people? And unfortunately, as a lawyer, we have to put some number on some injury that you may have. And so, you know, we're the big, big bad people who've got to be able to say, let's look at the numbers. And then let's look at the quality of life of individuals um, to talk about that. I had this case and I remember there was an instance in which this individual was saying that they was, you know, they were, you know, terribly ill and hurt. And um, there was a photo that was taken in the background and they had towels, um, you know, clothing, laundry that was folded and stacked up. And so they were saying they were unable to do any work. They were unable to do anything. And I thought, now who folded those towels in the background, that photo? There was a picture of the person you know, in um, the apparatus that was affixed to them because they needed to, you know, for um, to assist them. But I was looking at the background. I was trying to see, you know, what was in the background of that photo. And I thought, you know, those towels are folded really neatly because there's a certain way um, that individuals, you know, who are particular, most often um, women, I am the one in my house um, who folds a towel. If I let my daughter or my husband do it, it's going to be the lines are all turned all around. And so I was looking and I thought, you know what? This person is a pretty meticulous person. And I think they probably have been doing more laundry and work around the house than they're probably admitting. And so the opportunity came for me to ask those questions. It made a difference because it questioned whether or not they, in fact, were telling the truth. And if you were not telling the truth about this, you possibly are not telling the truth about everything. So, yeah. So what do you think has fundamentally changed about the way that you practice law from the time you started as a, as a young attorney to where you are now as a seasoned litigator and the principal in your own civil litigation firm? Well, I think that um, there is certainly the, the advent of technology has been a positive one, um, but it also has been some negative ones. Um, I think we often talk about um, that people send sort of some terse emails to folks who are, you know, and, and it's ugly and they have a short uh, response to certain things. Um, but I'll be honest with you, people were sending letters like that. Wow. <laughs> um, when I first started practicing law, I recall that my, uh, one of my uh, mentors said to me, you know, Amanda, when you first start practicing, it's important for you to understand you need to one, communicate with others um, efficiently because and effectively because they're not, this is not the only case you'll have with them. And so the level of professionalism, I think is something that um, was instilled in me very early on. Um, and I, I, I spoke with the law school. Um, I spent a lot of time at Mississippi College. I'm on the board of trustees. And so I spent a lot of time at the law school. And so I was visiting with the first year students probably about two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. And I shared with them the importance of being cordial, being professional when you're talking to others. 
and from every aspect um, of, of, of your profession and your career, because the people that you're with in law school are going to be people inevitably that you will need later on, or they will need you, or they can refer a case to you, or vice versa. And so um, I think that the importance of drilling that home has changed a little bit, but I think there are still some fundamental things. When when my mentor said to me, when you draft a letter, draft it as if it is an exhibit A to that is going to be attached to a document. And so that causes you to pause a little bit when you're sending a response. Do you have issues relative to proper grammar where you're typing so fast on your cell phone that you didn't really say everything that you wanted to say? Did you say too much? Did you say too little? Was it confusing? All of those things. So I think that because we live in a very fast paced society, now more than before, we probably now have to pause a little bit more, should, um, in our quick communication. You know, we're inundated with lots of media and information. And sometimes it's convenient because you can be in different places and, sh and share. And sometimes you want to be at the spa and not respond to the email. <laughs> well, Amanda, thank you so much for just taking the time today to talk to us about your journey um, and sharing your story with us. And until next time, we invite you to play big faster. This has been another episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to start your own business? Confused about where to begin? Not sure if you can do this? I'm glad you made your way here. Cut through the confusion. I invite you to join in on the five-day Play Big Faster Challenge. You'll get step-by-step -step guidance on how to start and scale your dream business faster. Five days perfectly structured. Build the business you've always dreamed of without spending tons of money and hiring consultants or a lot of staff. Join the challenge today at www.playbigfaster.com. for listening to this episode of the play big faster podcast want more entrepreneurial content i like this make sure to subscribe for future episodes already subscribed i just clicked on it don't forget to like and leave a review share with a friend that needs this in their life i think you need this more than i oh and make sure to follow sheree on ig at sheree speaks and remember to play big faster